Our scripture reading today comes from Romans 12, 9-21. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of my favorite things to do these last few weeks has been watching the NBA playoffs. People are calling it bubble basketball. I don't know if you've heard of it yet because the the NBA players and personnel, uh, in order to stay safe, have basically created a bubble. So they're staying in Orlando, Florida. They're actually at Disney World. And they're basically only allowed in and out of their hotel rooms and onto the basketball court. That's it. It's all they're allowed to do. I think players are allowed to have four guests come visit them in total. Like four people are allowed to see them. I think they've made exceptions for larger families, uh, for children, but that's it. That's it for weeks and weeks. Now, so far, bubble basketball has been amazing. I know most of you probably don't care because this is a college basketball town, but I care and I like the NBA. I've loved it. But one particular game really stood out to me uh, a couple of weeks ago. So for those of you who aren't big sports fans, just, just bear with me here for a minute. Uh, one player, one of the star players, he plays for the LA Clippers. His name is Paul George. He had a really, really terrible game. I won't bore you with the stats, but just believe me, he's a really, really good player. He had a really, really bad night. And actually, he hadn't had a good game in several games. It had been a while, and people began to notice. And this game really was the straw that broke the camel's back. So broadcasters, sports pundits, Uh, Everyone after this game began asking, what is wrong with Paul George? And there were all kinds of theories, right? Like maybe he's hurt. Maybe he's upset with his role on the team. Or Paul George always does this. He never shows up for the playoffs. I mean, you've watched a sports broadcast, so you know what they were saying. All kinds of stuff. Now, the very next game, after all of that, George broke out of his slump. He had a great night. Ended up winning the game for his team. He was asked after the game, what changed? Like, hey, you weren't doing so well, and then tonight you, you really turned it on. And he said the most obvious thing that I can't believe no one thought of it. He said, you know, I've been really anxious and depressed in this bubble, and it was affecting my play. And it's like, 
Of course he was. Who wouldn't feel that way? And he said, what changed is I went and I hung out more with the other players. I was less alone. And I went and I talked to the team counselor. And it's like, well, no, duh. Sure. We've been in this series on Romans 12, on how we change. And we're actually ending the series today. This is our last message here. And we had actually planned to end here on on a bit of a different theme than what I'm going to do. I'm going to do something else. So I'm just going to state the obvious. For many of us right now, we are tired, we're anxious, and we're stressed, and maybe depressed. That doesn't mean, listen to me, that doesn't mean good things are not happening right now. Seriously, God is moving, and he's working, and he's providing, and he's using his church all over the world. He's using our church in our community. Let me just give you a snapshot. So, so far this year, as a church, as a Leewood campus, we have met almost 70 specific requests needs through our partner care portal serving 193 children with an economic impact in our community of over $75,000. That's amazing since March. We've had small groups, community groups in our church taking care of folks who've recently lost jobs or are facing unemployment. We've thought creatively about how to help parents and students and teachers in this really, really stressful season together. It's amazing to see what God has done through his people, through you. But that doesn't mean that it's always been easy or fun or that everything's okay and back to normal because that's just not true. And I wanted to bring up the NBA bubble because it's like the perfect metaphor for what's happening in many of our lives right now. The TV production of the games is really, really good. It's working. The players are playing when no one thought this was even possible. That's great. The league has innovated with virtual fans and home court sights and sounds so that even though they're playing on the same court every night, it looks like they're moving stadiums. The innovation has been brilliant. Seriously, brilliant. But you peel back the curtain just a little bit and Paul George will tell you nothing is the same. It's different. And it's beating us up and it's taking a toll. It is. And for many people I talk with right now, same thing. Peel back the curtain just a little bit. And we have parents who are stressed about school. We have kids who are stressed about isolation. We have teachers who are stressed about education. We have pastors who are stressed about services and serving people. We have retirees who are stressed about being home alone. We have grandparents who aren't able to see grandchildren. We have leaders who don't know what to do. We're staring down the barrel of a really, really difficult and different September. And we don't know where the finish line is for this coronavirus. And oh, by the way, we're entering an election season, if you didn't know. Nothing's normal. And we're tired and we're anxious and we're depressed. And it's probably affecting you in ways that you know and ways that you don't know. And perhaps we're tempted in this moment to give up, to withdraw, to stop trying. We don't want another Zoom call with our community group. We don't want to engage with our spiritual family. We don't want to go to a church service. Um, We don't want to watch a church service or we don't want to attend a church service. Maybe we don't want to pick up our Bibles and pray. We don't want to go to our student small group, right? We, We just don't want to do these things. So here's what I want to do today. I want to give us a little pep talk, a pandemic pep talk, which is great alliteration. Because honestly, that's what Paul is doing here in Romans 12, verses 9 to 21. Now, this is not a community that's under a pandemic. 
but they're suffering. The Roman churches are suffering and they're stressed. They're tempted to give up because this whole church thing is really messy and it's really hard and it's really costly for them. But Paul says, I won't let you quit. I won't let you stop. And he's not going to let us do that either. So I'm gonna, what I want to do is just focus on three specific commands that Paul gives here in this section of Romans 12. So the first is right there in verse 9. So if you have your Bible, uh, pull that up. We're in Romans 12, starting in verse 9. Just these, this first phrase, Paul says, let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. Now, I'm going to nerd out on you for just a minute here. So the literal Greek behind this phrase, let love be genuine, it's a good translation, but the literal Greek is actually this. It's the love sincere. That's all it says. The love sincere. It's actually a really strange grammatical construction. But scholars agree that that little phrase, the love sincere, is the guiding light for the rest of this chapter. It is, it is everything else, every other command finds its source in this idea genuine love or sincere love. And a few things stand out to me here because there's a lot Paul is packing into this little phrase. So first, Paul doesn't have just any kind of love here in mind. It's not a generic love. He says the love, the love sincere, the, the definite article is there, which is really important. And the word for love here is agape. Maybe you've heard that before. It's the Greek for God's loyal love his commitment covenant love, the I'll never leave you or forsake you kind of love. That's what agape is. And Paul is saying, this is the community love we're to have for one another and it finds its source in God, who he is and what he's done. It's that love that must be sincere among us, that love. It is the love that must characterize the Christian community. It is the lifeblood of the church. That's, that's what Paul's getting at here. And he is concerned, notice, that that love be genuine, be sincere. That's actually the command. Let it be genuine. Literally in the Greek, it's let the love be unhypocritical. I love how Eugene Peterson translates this phrase in the message. So I'm going to make it our big idea here for our first big idea. Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. That's how Eugene Peterson translates this. Paul's command is a reminder that even when, and perhaps even especially when, you are tired or exhausted or anxious or depressed, our love must be genuine with one another. And the church family, again, is in view here, how we treat each other. Here's how one scholar unpacks this. He said, in urging that our love be genuine, Paul is warning about making our love a mere pretense, an outward display or emotion that does not conform to the nature of the God who is love and has loved us. In other words, this is a reminder of our first message in this whole series. If you remember, it was the mercies of God. Remember the mercies of God. The love of God toward you is where this whole endeavor begins. That love, the love God has shown to you, must overflow in genuine love for the believing community around you. And this is especially true when others are hard to love or our circumstances make it harder to love. And we've said this so many times in this series, but I'm going to say it one more time. Genuine love has gotten harder because of our, our isolation and our lack of physical proximity. Those are things that are very difficult to replace right now. So we have to put even more effort into our agape, sincere love for each other than we ever have before. 
I think that means reaching out proactively to those God has entrusted to you, your small groups, your Bible studies, the children's ministry families you've served, the students that you've served, to be more proactive than ever in reaching out to those people. It means turning away from criticism and complaint with one another and turning towards creative solutions to love your community. And here's what I mean by that. I'm hearing this uh, now and again right now. I'm, I'm disappointed that we're meeting outside, or I'm disappointed that groups aren't meeting in person the way I wanted them to. Um, I'm disappointed in this. And that's real. I get it. it. It's okay to be disappointed. It is. But genuine love here, it moves past criticism, which divides people, and it gets creative in how it loves people. This is what we're supposed to do. So what can we do to take ownership of the community and the connection that we desire from one another? How do we proactively create that rather than being staying disappointed with what is? So can you host something? Can you invite people over? Can you use your backyard? Can you have people over for dinner? What are creative ways we can foster community, even if the, the circumstances are not ideal? Because if and when we find that loving others genuinely is difficult, right? If we're having trouble moving past whatever's holding us back, remember, that's an invitation to return to the mercies of God. Paul is reminding us that when we find ourselves in a position where someone else is hard to love in the Christian community because of something they've said or something they've done or they, the decision that they've made that we don't agree with, whatever it is, that's an invitation to meditate again on God's love for us and remember that you too are hard to love, but that never stopped God. That's the idea. Paul literally says this uh, about that agape love. He says, nothing can separate us from God's commitment to us. That's in Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read it quickly. This is verse 38. I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, Paul would add, if he were around today, I think, that neither will a pandemic or a hybrid or online school system separate us from the love of God in Christ. Now, we love this verse. It's one of the most famous verses in the whole New Testament. I love this verse. But I sometimes forget that this love, this unending, unbreakable agape love, Paul also says must be true of the Christian community. It's not just how God loves me. It's how God loves us and how we love each other. He's connecting all of these dots. These verses should be true of our church family. What can separate us from one another? The answer is nothing. At least that's how it should be. Not racial divides, not political divides, not church service preferences, or whatever. It ha nothing. Nothing can separate us. The agape Paul talks about here is bigger than anything that might divide. It's bigger. Whatever our problems might be together, whatever our disagreements might be, our love is bigger than all of those things. It's a God-committed love. And God would never let those things separate him from us. We must model the same. If we're going to make it through this and become the people God has designed us to be and to show a watching world that Jesus makes all the difference, then genuine love must characterize our commitment to one another, even in the most polarizing and divisive, divisive environment that we find ourselves in. 
that doesn't matter. We have a love big enough to keep us together. So our commitment to show up for each other and not to withdraw and ghost people that we used to talk to, to honor our commitments, to, be, to, to show up for one another, to weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice, to be the family Paul is adamant that we are in this passage. We must live up to God's agape love for us. That's our call. Let love be genuine. But it's tempting to not do that. That's a, I mean, it's a high bar. And I sense it in myself. I'm tempted to grow weary or indifferent or numb. And that's why I, the second command is important from Paul today. And it's here in verse 12. It's just a phrase. Paul says, be patient in tribulation. Now, I don't love that translation. It's not bad, but it's actually stronger. The imagery is stronger in the original Greek. So in the Greek, it's literally to remain under hardship. Remain under it. So the, the imagery, right, is of a great weight that's pressing down on you. And that our role is to take it. It's to bear it, to endure it. And that's why I like that word. We must endure. This is Paul's command. Endure. Paul knows that this faith community is tempted to quit in Rome. This is always a temptation of the Christian community. If you were to read through the whole book of Hebrews, Again and again and again, the author of that letter is saying, don't give up. He says in chapter 10, verse 36, you have need of endurance. They're sagging, they're weakening, they're ready to walk away, to stop gathering, to neglect each other. That's all language from the book of Hebrews. This has always been a temptation. Now, here's the really hard thing about endurance. It's why our culture doesn't talk about it and why we're not very good at it. It's why it's hardly mentioned as a virtue anymore. You just don't hear this word outside of long-distance running, right? You don't hear it as a virtue. Here's what's hard about it. There is no trick to it. There's no hack. There's no shortcut. There's no bypass. It is, it is a stark command. Endure. Don't quit. Don't stop. Even if you really, really want to. And here's what's true. In the past... When we've been tempted to quit on our walk with God, on our community, on our hope, our joy, whatever it is, we had people around us. We had fans cheering us on. Sunday mornings were perhaps a moment where we felt strengthened and renewed. And for many, I think that's still true, but it's harder. It's not the same. But the command remains the same. And we must be intentional to keep our Christian friends and community close and included in our struggle to endure because we won't do this alone. So this is not the time to be lax in our relationships. If you called a friend here at church like once a week or once a month, double it. Do it more. If your group has a weekly text about the study that you're going through or the upcoming session, make it twice a week. Make a thread. Make it daily. Check in with each other. Be honest about the strain. And if you need, get a counselor. Paul George did. We would love to help connect you to resources if it's helpful. But endure, endure. Don't lose heart. Don't lose faith. Don't walk away from God. Don't walk away from his people. Don't. And hear me now. Hear me. We can do this. I know this is hard. But we can do this with God's help as a church. We can get through this. We can. And we are never alone. Never, never. 
remind each other of this as much as you can. This moment in our lives, it's difficult, but I am confident we will look back and say we remained under what God had for us. We remained under. God was good and we are stronger now than we ever would have been before. I know this is true. We must trust now that God is doing something amazing and good. And that's our last command from Paul. This is also in verse 12. Just another phrase, rejoice in hope. He calls this Christian community to rejoice in hope. Now, hope for the Christian is never in present circumstance. Maybe you've heard that before. Hope is not about certainty about the next five minutes or the next five months or the next five years. That's not what Christianity means by hope. We don't hope like sports fans. I hope they do well this year. That's not what we mean. Hope is rooted in what God has already done in Christ and what he promises to do. That's where our hope is rooted. In fact, we're going to start a a new sermon series next week on the book of Revelation because we're crazy. (laughs) No, we planned this a year ago and we believe this is time to talk about the hope that guides us through. And that's a major theme of that book, the hope that guides us through. But today, I want to talk about joy. Rejoice in hope. Because what hope really does, when we have confidence that Jesus did, in fact, rise from the dead and will, no matter what, protect us from any evil or, hard, or hardship that comes our way, then we can have joyful confidence in what God is doing now, even if it's hard. We can have joyful confidence that God's working, even if we can't see it all the time. So here's what is so amazing about joy. So we've referenced this book several times in this series. It's by Jim Wilder. It's called The Other Half of Church. And he talks about joy a lot. He's a clinical psychologist and a theologian. So he brings a really unique perspective to this. He talks about how joy is a supra emotion, supra emotion, which is a really fancy way of saying that joy has, is, is a unique state of being that can come alongside of, can coexist with almost every other emotion. They, they, they can go together. And my sense is you may already know this because when you're in a strong community with other people who love you and, and love God, and then something hard or frustrating or disappointing happens, you can feel those things deeply, but you can also experience joy and confidence that you're loved and you're cared for and it's going to be okay. Think about if you've ever been to a funeral with, of a really strong family, a really tight-knit family who really love each other and they've lost someone very dear. If you've done that before, what you've probably noticed is in the midst of real grief, I mean real grief, there's laughter, there's storytelling, there's joy, there's happiness to be together. The grief and the joy, they can exist together. And what gets you through the grief is the joy, the knowledge that you are accepted and loved and cared for no matter what. That can get you through a lot. That's what joy does. That's why it's a superpower in the Christian life. It's a superpower. When Paul calls us here to rejoice in hope, he's commanding us to be in such community with God and each other that our present circumstances cannot defeat our joyful confidence that God is with us and he's among us. It's our superpower as Christians. So I want to remind us of something, something that I have forgotten over and over again at various points 
throughout the past six months, but I dare not forget it today. I dare not forget it now. And here it is. God is doing something this fall. He will do something. He will not leave us alone. He's not wasting his time. He's not wasting our time. He is forming us. He's shaping us, his people, through this hardship. He's building us up in love. He's producing endurance among us. He's increasing our capacity for joy. And all of that can be true, even if our circumstances make it really hard to believe. So meditate on this this week. It's kind of wordy, so I'm going to say it twice. But think about this with me. Believe this. Put the, tuck this in your heart this week. God is doing something among us and through us, even if it doesn't look like he's doing what we want around us. He is doing something among us and through us, even if it doesn't look like he's doing what we want around us. We can have confidence in that. We can. Don't give up. Endure. Genuinely love one another more than ever. And rejoice in hope.